it's going to be interesting. Even I'm going to find out what God's going to do, I'll tell you. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting us and welcoming us back, and we're delighted to be with you. And um, we are excited about what God is doing in these days. And every place we go to, uh, sometimes it feels like the message is the same, but it's different because, um, because you're different. And the place that you're in is different, even though God is the same. Um, and I believe that the Lord is going to open up our ears to hear what we need to hear for a time such as this. Uh, this morning, I really felt led to offer hors d'oeuvres or appetizers or starters. And uh, Jane and I often will go into a restaurant and not really feel like a main meal. And so we end up having hors d'oeuvres, you see, and a bit of this and a bit of that end up eating more than if we had just had a main meal. Um, but that's good because it means we get more of God in that way. So tonight, I'm not sure we're going on to dessert. <laughs> But I do feel again, once again, that there's a bunch of things that God wants me to speak about tonight. One of them I got while I was sitting there, and I think it's still in the oven, so I'm going to wait to the end to see. But there's a, I think there's a prophetic word for, for Nelson that I'm supposed to release tonight. So you can be just praying for me. You know, if, you know, we don't want premature babies. So if it's not tonight, it'll come. But there's just something about the land just something about the land and that the Lord is going to use you to call the land into freedom. He's a word over the land that's going to release a blessing, that there's going to be a... See, the blessing is never just for the people. It's always for the people in the land, the people in the land. And so when, when you see the, the redemptive purposes of God uh, that, that lead to true... The, the, the fruit for me of true revival is transformation. Not just the transformation of the individual, but the transformation of society, transformation of culture, transformation of the country, politics, the economy, you know, just all those different mountains, you know, arts and media and education and all military and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, but one of the signs of transformation is not just that people get set free, saved and set free and healed and so on and so forth, but there is fruitfulness in the land that you actually, the land itself express, begins to express the manifest presence of God. And so part of, I believe, an apostolic calling that's on my life is to, to bring a, um, to be a catalyst or a changer of atmosphere so that the land itself, whether you realize it or not, can actually respond to the glory of the Lord that's in the church. Does that that's okay. So that's my first point. Okay, now on to the next dish. <laughs> so, but, so I'm just asking, Father, I pray tonight, if this word needs to be released tonight in its fullness, then let it, let, it, let it be cooking in the oven while I'm speaking about other things and so we can serve it up before we go home. But Lord, your timing is perfect and we don't want to bring it out too soon. So Lord, you've given us other things to serve up here tonight. I don't do this very often. It's, it's a teaching kind of a thing to do. Um, so repeat after me. See, I don't do that very often. But repeat after me. Both and. Say it again. Both and. Both and. The way we sort things, our grid for sorting stuff intellectually is usually either or. Either it's this or it's that, right? That's most of us. When it feels like we're, we have, we, we've got options, we've got to make a decision, and uh, we, we come to it with it, it's either this or it's that. 
But I've found that over time that God doesn't think that way. God's grid is both and. So if we come to the word of the Lord, the things that he's sharing with us with an either or mentality, then we're going to actually say no to half of what he wants us to have, right? The problem with both and is that it blows our circuits. Most of the time we can't cope with both end because it causes us to say there's no way that could happen. Now that's actually a good thing to conclude because the minute you say there's no way it could be both end, it opens the door to the miraculous. If you say it's either this or it's that and you force whatever it is that you're supposed to do into that box, it's more copable and controllable controlled by you, and therefore you feel more comfortable, but the reality is that you're actually saying no to half of what God wants to do. Now, I've found the more that I can have the grace to cope with the conflict or the tension of a both-and word from God, it means that I start to move out into a realm of believing for God to do something that my mind doesn't isn't able to make sense of. Gee, you're quiet. It's really scary. <laughs> and anybody gets that quiet? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So the reason I got you to say both and is I'm about to talk about a whole bunch of things that all of them you have to think of as both and. Okay? Not either or. You got, got me? Okay. So not either or, but both and. The first thing I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. You know, in most Pentecostal charismatic congregations, we're taught that the Holy Spirit is something that you receive so you speak in tongues. And that's one of the things that does happen. And the gift of tongues is wonderful, particularly in prayer and intercession and so on and so forth. Personal, you know, the building up, exhortation, edification. And so that's a gift. But I call it one of the power gifts, or it's the toolbox of the Holy Spirit. Tools, right? And there's other gifts that we get, you know, discerning of spirits and gifts of healing and so on and so forth. And you can read all of those in the Bible. You've got a Bible, right? And you can, if you don't know about those things, you can read about it. But the both end of the Holy Spirit is that before we receive power on high to do ministry, we see, receive his presence to know him. That's both and. The reason, the number one reason we receive the Holy Spirit is so that we might know him. It's not just his power. If you want power, you can go over there and put your finger in that power outlet there. You know, that's real power, right? Here, hang on to this raw wire here. You know? And sometimes he comes across that way. You know, Jehovah Zappa. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes on us. There's no question that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the indwelling presence of the Most High, the God who created all things, the heavens and the earth, God who created the universe of all creation, the God who spoke and it, it came to be, now dwells in you. It's not just power to do ministry. It is his presence. It's about relationship. And I, I loved what Wes said is that identity comes from relationship. But so often when we come into the church, the questions we ask or the things that are put in front of us are what am I to do questions. Destiny and purpose questions rather than who am I questions. 
presence is about who, who am I. It answers the who am I. Who am I as a son of God, as a daughter of the Most High? Who am I as a child of God? Who am, as we sang tonight, who am I as one who's been consecrated, set apart? Who am I so that I might then know what, is it, what it is I'm called to do? Actually, what, I, what is it that I'm called to do is answered by the who am I answer. So you get the who am I part right, then the destiny and purpose of God is easy. Right? And so we so often think of, come Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And so often we're either thinking of a manifestation of power that will make us feel like God exists as if we need another sign to believe. I think Jesus said something like that. You need another sign to believe? Don't you believe already? Do you know it's got really quiet? But we look for signs often to convince ourselves rather than saying, I already believe. What I want to do is to live my life in his presence and to have his presence and power flow through me. So the signs and the wonders and the miracles that I do in Jesus' name convince those who have not yet believed upon his name. Amen? So I'm going to try to do some of this really quickly. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. And there is a very familiar passage, and I'm not going to try to cover it fully tonight. As I said, we're kind of doing um, crackers and dip tonight. And we're just going to have a little bit more here, Exodus 33. So I find it amazing that, <clears throat> that Moses, all those years ago, understood the importance of the Holy Spirit. He, well, in this case, he understood the importance of the presence of God. And he said to God in Exodus 33, starting at verse 12, you have been telling me, lead these people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that, so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And then verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I'm not sure where Moses got this. It doesn't matter how he got it. It must have been revealed to him by, by God himself. But he got something that's super, super important for us to get, is the importance of his presence. He understood that if they went out without God's presence, that they would be no different from anybody else in New Zealand. Now, the tall poppy syndrome has more effect on us than we realize. And the reality is most of us don't want to stand out. We don't want to look different. We, we want to go unnoticed, and we hope that we can just be nice people, and nice people will be nice to us, and hope to God that nothing radical happens that would cause anybody to feel offended. I'm generalizing. I mean, there's some of you who are really into the, the business of offending, and that's okay. You know, some of you need heal, healing and deliverance, and that'll all go. Some, some of you need to be stirred up, and you'll start to move in a way not to offend people, but God and you will call, be, confront those people, and they'll be offended by him. And that's a whole different thing, right? That's a whole different thing. 
But Moses understood the importance of God's presence. And he basically said, and it's so insightful, it's profound, don't, don't let us get out of this place. Don't let us go unless your presence goes with us. He was as good as saying, if you don't come with us, we're not going. How often do we do things in Jesus' name? Just, just imagine, I believe he's with us. He's not leaving us. He said, I'm, I'm with you forever. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. That's why you'll never hear me say, oh, please, God, come tonight. He's already here. The best way to start any meeting is thanking him that he's here already. He got here before you. You should give him the keys. He'll unlock the door and turn on the lights and turn on the heater. But it's so often how we can move out into something when we actually haven't inquired of the Lord, if it's in his heart, in his mind. And in that sense, in that sense, we're moving out without his presence. In that sense. And so Moses said, don't send us out of this place unless your presence goes with us. Now, I think it's very interesting that he's asking He's asking just for presence, but God says, yes, my presence will go with you, and I will give you my rest. It's kind of like the extra bonus package, you know, like you weren't asking for it. They say, but, oh, by the way, everybody who shops today in the store gets an extra 10% of this or something like that. As, as, if, as if rest isn't important, but it wasn't what he was asking for. But here's a little secret, here's a little window to look through and understanding is that when you dwell in God's presence, you will know his rest. And his rest is what allows God to work through you. So at the end of the day, it has not to do with your strength or power or your education, but his spirit working in you to do something that gives him the glory. Rest, we need to declare over this place. In fact, let me do this right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare over this house a non-striving zone. I declare that this is a non-striving zone, that there is no work of the flesh that will try to bring about the kingdom of God, a non-striving zone. I declare that this place is a place of rest and peace, the dwelling house of the Most High God, where the indwelling and manifest presence of God is in this place. Presence and rest, presence and rest, presence and rest. Moses is about to go out. He's going to, with all these troops, with all these people, mobilizing them, there are lots of activity, going forth. But he goes forth and rest. Wow. It's incredible. There's one thing I want to draw your attention to, and it's, we've already read it. But Moses said, I, I, now, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Verse 13 if you're pleased with me and teach, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Now, what I'm about to tell you, some of you won't like. Some of you might even be offended. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to ask you to forgive me now. That makes it easy. Thank you. I feel forgiven already. I really prayed about this for a long time. I've looked into the scriptures. I've actually asked God about it. I am confident that I can say that Moses was not filled with the Holy Ghost. But you are. He knew God. He heard God's voice. Went up the mountain, saw him face to face, came down. He had to put a veil on his face because the glory 
you know, the, the people in the valley couldn't stand looking into the face of Moses because of the, the glory of God that was on him. There's no question that he was a special man. I'll never be Moses. Up on the mountain of transfiguration, there's Elijah and Moses with Jesus. I mean, the law and the prophets, Moses is Moses. I'm not suggesting that he wasn't a great man picked by God. I'm not saying that. But he says to God in, a, in this passage, teach me your ways. In other words, outside of myself, show me how you do things that I can observe you. And in observing how you do things, then I will learn about who you are. That's what he's saying. He had to see God in order to understand God, and the seeing of God was outside of himself. It was an external observation of God. Maybe signs and wonders and the fire coming down on the altar and all kinds of things. Even the people saw the fire. But it was outside of themselves. When he came and he filled the tabernacle, everybody had to leave. It was outside of themselves. They all had to leave. But we've been filled with the spirit of the living God. When you say, we want to focus on the Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to be a house that's known for the dwelling place of the Most High God, people walk in the door and say, I, the presence of God is in this place. Like Jacob waking up from his dream and saying, surely the presence of, of the Lord is in this house. The gateway to heaven even. Right? If, you want, if you're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, then you need to understand this, th this one thing is you got something happening that Moses didn't. That you can know God on the inside without seeing him on the outside. The God now dwells within you. Moses said, don't, don't send us out of this place unless you go with us. But now we can say thank you that you're with us. And that you're constantly revealing to our hearts and minds who you are. And, even more importantly, who you've made us to be in Christ. It's the indwelling presence of the Most High God. I spend so much time in awe. I mean, if you looked at my face, it wouldn't look that way. Look like I'm getting old and tired sometimes. But whenever I think that God of all creation now dwells in me, I can hardly believe that that's happened, but yet it is a truth that I have to accept. And once we accept it, it means that we're ready to take the next step, which is from salvation into the destiny and purpose of God in the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's not about being a Pentecostal denomination. Shab, dub, 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 dub. You know, I speak in tongues, you speak in tongues too. It's not just about that. In fact, when we reduce the indwelling presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit down to just speaking in tongues, then what we end up with is something other than what the Lord wants us to have. You understand? We end up with a, a cultural hallmark as opposed to the reality of his kingdom, presence, and power on earth. So it's both and. Do we want God's power? Absolutely. Do we want the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Do we want to move in signs and wonders and miracles, you know, with the preaching of the gospel and, the, and, and declaring and the testimony of his word and signs following? Absolutely. But to dial it down just to power means that we've missed perhaps 
The first and most important part of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is then through Jesus we become one. Jesus said, you're in me and I'm in you and I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. But now because you're in me and I'm in the Father, that means you're in the Father too. That's what it means. It means that we are one with the Father. If you remember that whole story, they were saying, well, where are you going? I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house, there's many rooms, and I'm preparing a place for you. And Thomas says, well, how can we go there if we don't know the way? And Philip finally says, oh, let me handle this. And he says, now, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that will be enough. And at that point, Jesus turns to Philip in the hearing of all the other disciples and says, I've been with you all this time, and you don't recognize me. You know, the Father's here right now. Where is he? If you could look at yourself in the mirror right now, he's in you. The Father is right here. And there are times in faith we stand up. And when we speak, it's the Father's voice because we abide in Christ. And we're filled with his presence. Okay? It's more than a ticket in our back pocket to get into heaven when we die. We are carriers of his glory. We are his creation upon earth. We are that kingdom and royal priesthood in order that the nations of the earth would know him and be saved, that nations would be discipled in Jesus' name. So it's a both and thing. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to talk about is calling. Calling. I believe you're all called. Do you feel you're called? I think one of the problems with calling is that we often think, unless you're a pastor or a youth pastor or worship leader and you've been to Bible college and seminary, then somehow you weren't chosen and you have to go out and find a real job. (laughs) That was a joke. But I believe in Christ. If you belong to Christ in Jesus, if you've given your heart to him and you're reconciled with the Father, then I believe you've been called. You've been called by name. The destiny and purpose of God is ever before you. First and foremost, it's dwelling in his presence and enjoying him and him enjoying you. But second, it is is while you're on earth to belong to him and for him to reveal himself through you to the rest of the world. And I couldn't say that any more simply, right? That's it in a nutshell. Don't make it complicated. What makes it complicated is the desires of our own heart for something other than what he wants for us. That's what makes it complicated. You're all called by name. I don't care who you are. Maybe you're a secretary. Maybe you're a dentist. Maybe you're a a tradesman. Maybe you're a trades lady. (laughs) Maybe you're, you know, you work in a bank. You're an engineer. You're a scientist. You're an astronaut, you know. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know any astronauts here tonight. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I believe that each one of you are, are called. But... Often what we do is there is a segregation between our relationship with God and how we work that out and the work that we do in the world. Here's a little very quick insider's view of something. Most of us, our sense of who we are is still so tied to performance that until, unless we do something to provide, prove our value to other people, then we don't know who we are. God's love has nothing to do with performance. God's love has nothing to do with your performance. God's love has nothing to do with your work or your performance. So that when he says, I love you, 
you understand that it that on your worst days, when you've totally failed you, he in fact loves you just as much as your good days. If you don't get that, if his love doesn't set you free and heal that part of your heart, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna come into the kingdom with that part of you broken and you're gonna strive, 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 strive to win daddy's attention, to get his approval and make sure that you're better than everybody else, which we call sibling rivalry. <laughs> right? That's what happens, right? We're all competing in a nice way and say, denying that we are. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> You've all been called by name, so here's the both end. You have been called by name. How do we come into the kingdom? One at a time. One at a time. I can't, I can't believe in Jesus on your behalf. I can't do that. You have to. You have to repent and you have to have faith in his work on the cross for your sin. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. We all come in individually. The problem is, is that so often as individuals, as individuals, <laughs> that's a new word, I like that. As individuals, we remain even though we gather together and call it a fellowship. And that's when everything stops. Because the calling of God is not just individual, but it's corporate. We all come in individually, but until we come into that place of corporate identity, now I'm saying one identity for all you people, then we don't move into the higher callings of God that are upon us. Everybody okay with that? It's really important that we understand it. We have the indwelling, abiding presence of God. When we have that as an individual, we live out our Christian life. But once we come together and we begin to understand that the purposes of God is to make us one. You're in me, I'm in you. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. You're in me, but because I'm in the Father, that means we're one. It sounds cute, doesn't it? So we should, somebody should make a poster and put it in the toilet. Right on the wall there, you know, and just say, yeah, yeah, you know, it's something to do while I'm, you know. Anyway. It's a revelation. It's why Jesus came. It's about the Father's glory. It's about his kingdom on earth. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. And I don't know how much Kiwis are like Canadians, but I know Canadians are, are an independent bunch. We like each other, but I have my house and my family, and it's my section, and you can just... Mm -mm -mm -mm. No, we're not like that at all. We're actually very nice. We say, please, thank you, you're welcome. I'm sorry. <laughs> But there is a spirit, isn't there, in the land, which is a spirit of independence. I actually believe that the pioneering spirit of New Zealand has lifted off. And, I, and I, whether that's a holy pioneering spirit or an unholy pioneering spirit, I believe that as uh, the economy's gotten better and the quality of life has gone up, in reality, 
quality of life, meaning the warehouses come in and even poor people can have a microwave. What it means often is the richer get richer and the poorer get poorer, but there's a sense that our quality of life is improving. The reality is the more comfortable people get, the less pioneering they become, they become settlers. They're no longer trailblazers. Kiwis used to go to the ends of the world. The Christians go to the ends of the world as mighty missionaries because there was this pioneering spirit that for the most part has dissipated and it's almost gone. And I believe, we were talking about this the other day, that I believe the pioneering spirit is going to come back into the land through the church. The pioneering spirit is going to come back to New Zealand, but it's going to come back through the church, but the church has to get it first. It means understanding that the foundations with Jesus, the chief cornerstone, are apostolic and prophetic. Or in this case, we get the prophetic part really well, uh, really well, but it's time for a restoration of apostolic ministries to join the other, other four so that the five become one. You know, those gifts in Ephesians 4, the fivefold ministries, are gifts or anointings of Jesus. It's like he cut himself in five parts and handed his parts out to, I mean, that's kind of gross. Eh? Ugh, I don't want that. But to some he gave apostle, to some he gave prof, so on and so forth. You know this story. But you know, when the body of Christ, both and, we're still on both and, we're talking about individual versus corporate, that when the five-fold ministry comes together and works properly, and by the way, it has to be embraced in order for it to work. It's not them declaring who they are in the church. It's the church embracing the gift. And the gift is not bodiless. If you don't embrace the person that the Lord has given the gift to, then you don't get the benefit of the gift. But when the fivefold comes together and operates with integrity and integration, it's the body that always benefits. And the benefit of the body is that they receive the fullness, the whole measure. And when we together, as one, receive that full measure, guess what happens? The kingdom of God manifests in the earth. And so we all come in as individuals. We have to, we, we have to come in one at a time in that sense. But if we stop there, then we don't move into that corporate understanding, experience, and identity. But it's when we come into that corporate place that God then starts to move in us and through us. We become his kingdom on earth, not just the redeemed of the Lord that are waiting to die so we could go to heaven. I don't know whether I told this the last time I was here, but a long time ago I knew a guy who got radically saved. I'd like to think that everybody who was saved got radically saved because I think that's the first and greatest miracle we all receive in Christ, right? But this guy saw angels and, you know, just the whole, you know, schmeal deal, dreams and visions, and it was just, you know, eating up scripture day and night. And it, whenever he came into a meeting, and this was like in his first three months of being a Christian, he would come into a meeting and he'd lie on the floor and he wouldn't do anything. And finally, I went over him to one day and said, what are you doing? And he said, he said, I just want to die. I said, what do you mean you want to die? And he just said, there's no good reason to be here anymore. I'm just ready for heaven. 
I mean, you know, he kind of missed the point, right? But a lot of us missed the point. We're not just here to have a little bit of a better life. You know, Jesus has not kind come to kind of help us along. So tomorrow it goes a little bit better. He's come to transform us. We have not been resuscitated. We have been resurrected. Right? And the life that we now live, we live in him. He said, if, if you hang on to your life in this world, you lose it in the world to come. Those were the words of Jesus. But if you lose your life in this world, then you will gain your life in eternity. There's something about why we're here that's really, really important. You know, and if, if you're like me and you got saved way back here and you're lucky enough to live until you're, you know, 103, that's a whole lot of life, right? That's, that's a whole lot of time. And if you just fill that up with one Sunday a week where you go to church, I mean, that's kind of a commitment right there, eh? And, but what happens if you begin to realize that your changed, transformed, redeemed life is meant 24-7, to be a testimony like a lampstand in the place that God has put you. And at any time, anywhere, no matter the cost, that you come out with this radical testimony of how Jesus' love changed your life, the power of God, the love of the Father, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, real time, in the moment, and people start to say, what can I do to be saved? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Yeah, and, I, you know, I'm not the most exciting prophet. That's what Wes said, didn't you? That's, am I stealing your words? <laughs> but I am prophesying because I'm speaking to the church, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. It's time to let go of your little individual safe places. It's time, it's time to give up the comfort and convenience of your own little life and your own little Jesus who you've somehow gotten to fit into your little life. The secret to being, to being in the bigness of God is actually letting go of what you're hanging on to. Right? Do you know that, our, that God's greatness is not dependent upon our response to him? Let me say that again. God's greatness is not dependent on your response to him. He's still great, whether you respond to him or not. He's still great. But I'll tell you what, our response to his greatness will determine who we are in the kingdom. And sitting and listening to one more message, which you're doing tonight, is great. But what we all need is the transformation that turns us into a powerhouse of the Holy Spirit. Anytime, anywhere, 24-7, here I am, God, use me for your purposes and glory. And even if it's in this, you live in the same house in Nelson for 40 years, born here, raised here 60 years, 70 years, you spend all your life in Nelson, you never go to the nations. If this is where you're meant to be, then this is where you're meant to let your light shine. This is the place where you, the powerhouse of God, is meant to transform, be a catalyst for transformation in this place in the world. And it's the perspective, the impact, informed perspective of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the way that God changes our thinking is by changing our heart first. The revelation always comes to the heart, then it goes, oop, 
up here into the mind, and then we're renewed by the transformation of our minds. But it comes to the heart, Romans 5.5, 5, and God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. When we ask Holy Spirit to come, he's not coming into our minds, he's coming into our hearts. But once the heart receives the revelation, it informs the mind, and once the mind is changed, it has a different perspective, then we're ready to go. Once we've responded to the revelation. You see, I believe every revelation takes another decision. Yes or no. Right? Whenever God speaks, it's either yes or no. You know, the maybes, aren't we, they don't, don't really exist. You know? Ultimately, it's a yes or no. I don't know about you, but every day I wake up, I sit on the edge of the bed, and I think, coffee, 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 coffee. No, I sit on the, I do. <laughs> I sit on the edge of my bed and I mutter, I probably mutter, but I say, this day, Lord, I'm deciding once again to follow you. And I do it every day. Why? I'm not getting saved every day. I got saved years ago. I'm absolutely confident in my salvation. It's me deciding I'm laying down my life today and that I'm gonna serve him as he leads me and directs me, okay? So both and. Very quickly, I'll see, quickly, time's going on because we wanna do some ministry here tonight. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to us. I wanna talk about something that's perhaps in the realm of the apostolic and the prophetic. I want to talk about the prophets who come and they speak. And in the Old Testament, they were always speaking to kings most of the time. And they were informing the king of the word of the Lord. And then the king would, like Joash, who decided, you know, Elisha put the arrows in his hand and said, now strike the land. Right? So that the prophets speak to the kings. But in this day, if you go to the book of Hebrews and in chapter 1, it says in the old days it was the prophets that we heard. But now it's through Jesus. And, and now the Spirit of God dwells in us. So in that sense, the prophetic spirit, the Spirit of Christ speaks to us directly. But we need each other to hear so that we know it's the word of the Lord, right? So there is a, um, back in uh, Ezra, there is a, a time, and I don't, have, I don't have time to go through it now, but there was a time when they were, uh, they had come out of exile, and now they were uh, they're wanting to rebuild the temple. But before they rebuilt the temple, they, they felt the need to establish altar, an altar of worship. And it says there, as I said, because of the time, we won't read it right now. But it says there that, that they, they established this altar of worship and began to uh, worship the Lord, even though the t- foundations of the temple had not been laid. Even though the foundations of the temple had not been laid. It was a great cost because when you do something that publicly, that not only people who like you see it, but the people who don't like you see it. There's great cost when the Lord calls you to go to a community or place and begin to openly worship him. It will always require you to have a cost. In fact, I often say to people, they say, you know, I just think I got a word from the Lord. You know, what do you think? Is this from God? And, 
you know, one thing I say right away, if there's, no, if there's no faith and obedience required, if there's no sacrifice, chances it's not from God. If there's no faith or obedience required and there's no sacrifice, chances are it's not from God. So, but when God starts something new, and I believe that this, again, I'm speaking prophetically, I think you guys are about to step into some new things. I think there's some new things, let me say it this way, there's some new things that Jesus is about to do in Nelson. Right? Yeah? And he may choose you, and I think he has, but he may choose some other people too. But if we understand that it's about corporate, then at the end of the day, it's all about him rather than it's in my house, or I'm not, you know, I'm going to take my ball and go home if it's not, you know, if it's not the game I want to play. But I believe there's about new things, and the first thing is to understand that the apostles are builders. Apostolic anointing. They're always saying we've got to build something. We've got to lay foundations here. They change atmosphere. They have that, uh, that authority in regions and in, and in, in nations to, to, you know, to deal. They go in and they deal with witchcraft and strongholds and things like that. That, that, that particular apostolic um, anointing. I don't have time to get into that either. But they'll quickly start to move into that place of saying we've got to lay foundations. Right? we got to have a house, we got to have a building, we got to have a temple, foundations. But it's that prophetic gift that, that cries out, let's first worship the Lord. It's that prophetic gift. And they can eat that, those two gifts are sometimes resonant in the same person. But it's about the order. At the men's meeting the other day, I briefly talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 2 to 6. It says, the wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. I believe that God is going to build something in this place. I feel that there is something lacking. I feel like there is something prophetic, a destiny like that clock that was cut off and God is reestablishing. For you, those of you who weren't here this morning, you should have been. And it, there's an inheritance that God is restoring. And I believe that, that, that Nelson is one of those lampstand cities and that there is, there is potential for an apostolic center to be here. But the apostolic center is always, it's always together with an apostolic anointing as well, right? The, ap, the, the apostles, I think, some, some apostles, no, no, pr, uh, pr, prophetic people, some prophetic people are resident in the house, but I think, I think truly prophetic people are, are meant to come and go. They're meant to come and go. Who can stand a prophet li- with, living with them all the time? I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it'll drive you absolutely nuts, you know. Thank you for that word. Now go away and come back six months later. So here's the thing, and I'm going get, to get to the chase here because it's getting late because there's one more point I want to make. If you just have, if you just value the prophetic, then you'll get stuck on the altar and never get to laying the foundations. I love the prophetic. I love prophetic people. But the other problem with just valuing the prophetic is you're always wanting another word. And I actually think this house has got so many words, you actually don't need another word. God will give it. If, if, he, if he wants to give you a new word, he'll give it. But don't be looking for a new word. It's time, it's time for fulfillment. It's time for the promise to be fulfilled. And if you get stuck on the prophetic, then it's always about 
the initiation of something that doesn't get fulfilled because the altar that they established, even though it was before the foundations were laid, was just the precursor to something being built. And of course, we know unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain, which means your work will be futile. Or another way of putting it is you will build and it will fall down and you will build and it will fall down and you will build and it will fall down. But when the Lord builds the house. So I'm just speaking out tonight over you. There's something, something I can see, you know, I'm a seer, so, you know, I don't want to get weird on you here, but there's, there's something waiting. The word I've been using, you know, there's a word, the word escrow. It has to do, like, in real estate and stuff and the trading of funds, and sometimes the money goes to a lawyer for a period of time, and it's an escrow. It doesn't mean you're waiting for the money to, to come up with the money. The money's there, but it's kind of, like, all tied up until the time is right. And, and you think, I, w- I need that money released. I need that money released. I need that money released. I feel like there's a promise of you that's been on hold. Part, our natural inclination is to say, what did we do wrong? But sometimes it's, you've done nothing wrong. It just has, hasn't been the time yet. Whoa. And so I really believe that we need the prophetic to inform us right now. We need the prophetic to inform us right now. <laughs> right now, we need the prophetic to not tell us about three, four years from now. We need the prophetic to inform us about right now because it's about a prophetic promise that's about to be fulfilled. But here's the thing. It's time for building. It's time for building. It's time for laying foundations. And of course, in that account in Ezra, the old people who remember the promise and thought they would die without seeing it come about wept. Because... Because they had moved into despondency. They had moved into a place of, will we ever see it again? You know, for some of us, and I include myself in this, I keep reminding God, don't let you, don't you call me back home until you fulfill your promises that you gave to me. And he has had to deal with my heart and say, well, what happens if I don't fulfill those promises through you in your time, but I do it through your son after you've died. Is that okay? And at first I said, no, it's not okay. But you know, over time, it's my joy now to believe that my son, Oliver, is going to move in things far greater than I've ever moved in. You know, it says in, now take your Bibles on this one. This is really quick. I don't do anything quick. I'm lying to you. Psalm 124. And I think this is kind of the, the, the cake finally coming out of the oven here. Psalm 124. Uh, did I get the psalm right? Hang on, I got to get there. Da, 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 da. Is, is everybody okay? Okay. Oh, Jane, why can't I find this? Oh, here it is. Psalm 127. So I'm talking about my son, Oliver, the promise that's given to us that we are kind of waiting for God to fulfill, and we can't make sense of what's going on because we've, in, we've gotten the revelation, but we've interpreted it wrong. 
So there is a fulfillment of the promise in our time, but the, the completion of the promise won't be until the next generation. And we've got to be just as committed to walking that out, though we don't see, like in Hebrews 11, those who by faith went before. We've got to be just as committed to walking through those things with God, even though we won't necessarily be be here to see the fullness. Now, 127 says this. Go down to verse 3. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Now, a lot of what we sang tonight, I didn't touch base with Jimmy, and he didn't touch base with me. Jimmy, why didn't you call me? (laughs) Sorry, man. But a lot of what we sang was, this is how I do battle, right? You know how we're supposed to do battle, and I'm talking to you now, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you. I'm talking to some, some of us who represent this generation, not the new generation, maybe we're the old generation. We need to be like Joash, that when we're given these sons and daughters like arrows, that we strike the ground with them. That we understand that the promise of God is for them. In their time, it will be fulfilled. And we take them by faith. I'm talking, I don't say take your kids and throw them on the ground. But But in declaring that God's promises will be fulfilled that we declare and proclaim over our children, not once, not twice, not three times, but maybe five or six times, we go on and on declaring with the confidence of who they are in God's heart and God's mind and call them forth into the destiny and purpose of God. And that our God, who is a cross-generational God, from generation to generation, like he promised Abraham, will fulfill his promise through us, and we get to be part of that. If you don't have that perspective, then you will live a small life. You will think small. You will look small. It will be all about you. It will be about your comfort, and it will be about your convenience. God loves you. He delights in you. You die. You go to heaven. He won't take that away. He'll bless you to encourage your heart, but you won't step into your destiny and purpose on the earth. You won't. I'm sorry. It's not me who made up this. This is the way God made it up. And so I believe we're in this time that we're meant to worship. This is the both end. We're meant to worship. Build the, the altar of worship. Get around the altar of worship. Release the prophetic. Let's do the flag stuff. Let's do the painting stuff. Let's do the utterances. Let's do the crazy pictures that nobody understands stuff. You know, let's, you know. How many of you don't get it? There's always a, come on, be honest here. How many people just think, They'd like to say to a prophetic person, could you just say that in real words? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Prophetic people love it. You know, the weirder it is, they go, oh, yes. Oh, yes, I so get that. <laughs> I see coming down from sky this peanut butter anointing. And then you're going, Whoa. <laughs> This furry beast. No, 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 we don't do furry beasts. Okay, it's an angel. Well, ah, no, it's a furry beast. 
We need to continue to worship the Lord. We need that prophetic release. We need to continue that. We don't stop that. You got, don't stop that. Don't apologize for it. Don't get into either or on me. Because it stops everything like that. But understand that whatever has been established through that, the Lord says, I have chosen a place that I'm going to call you to go to. And in that place, you build an altar, you sacrifice upon it. And when you do that in that place that I've chosen, that you've gone to in obedience and faith, in that place, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Right? And if he's done that and he said, Nelson is the place, then this is the place where the altar of worship is. Okay? But, what, but you need to do that, continually doing that, while you understand that what he's saying is lay kingdom foundations in this place. Call. Call forth the apostolic. People of God, you got to call it forth. It's been too long, and I say this very, very respectfully. For too long, we've let the pastors be the gatekeepers of the church. They're not meant to be. They're meant to be set free from that responsibility to actually care for the sheep. And the proper caring of the sheep always raises them up, gets them free, healed, delivered, trained, equipped, impartation, activation, and sent. That's a pastoral gift. But too long, it's almost like pastors have become the junkyard dogs. And, you know, they'll... That they don't let too many people in. Trouble is, some of the people that have, they, have, that have been kept out are the apostolic people. Why do we have so many, particularly in the apostolic and the prophetic, why do we have so many parachurch ministries? It's because they were supposed to be in the church, but they couldn't find a place there. People of God, embrace. Embrace. Call it forth. It's Jesus who's given his gift to the church. And we can at least begin by welcoming Letting the Lord know that that gift needs to come back because it's not just about the prophetic establishing of altars and all the stuff that goes along with high worship and praise. It's also about building things upon the earth and that always has to do with the kingdom of God. One last thing. One last thing. Can you do one more last thing? Do you have the bandwidth for one last thing? Okay, and then we'll pray. Discipleship. Right? What are we doing? Both and? Okay. I think there's a difference between when we disciple an individual and then we've been discipled, so we disciple nations. And so often, um, our th- idea of evangelism is that we, we, we win an individual to the Lord and then we disciple them. And often, discipleship is kind of more about instructions, strategies, methods, uh, whether it's a Bible study, um, because we want to teach, we want, we want to train. But the result, whether this is our intent or not, is not so much inner trans- transformation, but it's like putting within them a moral code so that they can live what we consider to be a godly life. But that doesn't set those people in terms of discipleship to be radical warriors for the kingdom. It doesn't prepare them to be royal priesthood. It means that they're good citizens, which is a good thing, right? Remember, it's both and. But at the end of the day, it's, 
it's kind of like the goal is to get a person out of sin and out of darkness into the light, but kind of get them kind of so they stop cursing, stop looking at porn, you know. They're good, they're good at work, and they, they occasionally give money to the homeless, and they work in a food bank, and they so on and so forth, and they come to church, and they serve in the church here, and they put a little money in the plate. And mo- for most of us, if, if, if somebody comes out of that and that becomes the new person, we say, wow, have they ever changed? And we're happy with that. And so the discipleship after that becomes not a radical process of transformation, but when they reach that level, all our efforts is maintenance. Right? Right? They're doing okay, you know? They're doing okay. You know, their marriage is good, and they treat their kids well, and, you know, they, they do good things in the community. And that's, we need that. But the reality is, is that The Lord intends to totally transform us, not just inform us. And that discipleship needs to have, there's got to be after salvation. That means after somebody has given their their heart to the Lord. They need to have, be challenged. They need to be equipped. They need to be prayed for to be brought into that place where they begin to recognize that they are a new person in Christ Jesus and the passions of their heart are for the Lord and the Lord alone. At that point, you are discipling for the kingdom. You're not discipling for heaven anymore because the kingdom of God is on earth. You want me to prove that to you? Thank you. Let me prove that to you. Jesus taught us to pray a little prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on in heaven as it is in heaven. Is that the prayer? No. Your kingdom done on earth as it is in heaven. We have been set, left on earth to be the kingdom of God. And I believe that as much as we are called to disciple the individual in in things like morality and and behavior and uh, ways to be a good person in in righteousness and purity to live a good, godly, moral life. I believe that we need to go, there's another kind of discipleship that is geared towards preparing people to to be the kingdom of God on earth. And without that, then what happens is Nelson doesn't change except for one person at a time. You don't need a move of morality. What you need is a move of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God advancing, and that the change in a person evidences itself by morality, a change in morality, rather than just trying to change it alone. We need more than just a guidebook for rules in godly living. We need an inner transformation so the book is written in our hearts. You know that if the Ten Commandments had been in their hearts, it would never have had to be given to Moses and written in stone. It became a law rather than a spirit within that guided our lives because his presence was full in us. And so tonight... What I've been trying, what I felt the Lord gave me to give to you was a perspective. 
and, and so I hope that in some ways I'm, I'm touching on different topics here, but the whole thing is that there is a, a, a perspective where we can either receive Christ and then just kind of live apart from, you know, now I'm a Christian and I go to church and I, my life has been changed, but basically, you know, I, I just kind of live my life. I have my job and, you know, one day I hope when I die I go to heaven. The both end is that that's the way we all start, but, but the part that has often been missing for us in the church is to understand that there's this radical calling in our life. And it doesn't matter whether I get it for you, you've got to get it for you. It's, you know, it's not about the preacher, you know. Wes can get up here next week and say this, exactly the same thing that I'm saying. But at some point, it's got to be you who gets it, rather than people like us who tell you. I mean, we will continue to tell you until you get it. But at the end of the day, it's about an impartation of the Spirit that, you, that then brings you to a place where you say, yes, I do believe this about myself. And it releases that which the Lord has given you. And then you all of a sudden have a reason to live on earth that you didn't have before. You know, for years, I'm done. We're going to pray. For years, somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> for years and years and years, um, I watched um, um, sci-fi movies. You like sci-fi movies? I don't like horror movies. I won't watch a horror movie. I hate them, in fact. When I was a kid, they used to, you know, I'd stay up all night long. I'd stay up for weeks, so I just decided that I just had a sense, too. I was very sensitive as a kid. But I'm talking about, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. I just love that stuff. It's really, you know, in every sci-fi movie, there, there's a, a running theme in, in sci-fi movies. You know, there's aliens, and they come to Earth, and they impregnate some guy, and it's usually a guy rather than a girl. Right, and he gets a baby, an alien baby inside of him, and at some point the alien baby comes up. Yeah, I don't like that. And that's pretty gross and gruesome, you know. And, but all the all the devil's done is taken taken something that God created, which is incarnation, and is 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 trying to say he came up with that idea, but he's not creative at all. He's just trying to make it awful when it's a beautiful thing, right? So, over the years, you know, I've actually pondered, are there really aliens? I mean, there's people who've spent their whole life searching for aliens. You know, they got pictures of, oh, here's the first flying saucer I ever saw. I don't know, it looks like a Coke can to me, you know. But I've come to the conclusion there are aliens. We are the strangers and the aliens. We are the strangers and the aliens. In this earth. Now, over this past weekend, we've been kind of joking because we don't have a house anymore. We spent three years in Tokyo. We went back to Canada for a bit. Then we were in Japan for a bit. Now we're here in New Zealand until uh, Christmas before we leave again. And um, people have been saying, well, where do you live? And I'm saying, Nelson. Right now, it's Nelson. But, and it's a joke. Or unless it's prophetic, but I haven't... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I'm quite serious about that, is that Jane and I are not looking for a place to live. 
That's, it's not our passion anymore. We're visiting here until the Lord calls us home. And that gives us a lot of freedom to be his. Any, anywhere, anytime, no matter the cost, here I am, Lord. I'm not looking to retire even. I'll get old, I'll get tired, I'll slow down, I'm sure. I'll phone up my kids and say, you're paying the bills now, not me. But the point is this, is that once you become, once you get a revelation of the kingdom, you go from that introductory level of discipleship into a transformation process where you begin to realize you really are not an old creation with a new hairdo. You are a new creation. You no longer live your life for yourself but for him. And all of a sudden, you are set free from the things of the world so that not only you can hear his voice, but you can respond to him. And you have this ongoing feeling that wherever you go, the presence of God is with you. And others are drawn to you because they see Christ in you. And you get this incredible privilege to share your testimony, to move in the power of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles and people get saved. And you know what happens? The house 